0: You're very welcome to the World in Union, Balsadi's brand new rugby show with me, Mick McCarthy, alongside Morris Brosnan. And why the World in Union? Well, so much of our rugby coverage and our rugby culture really is defined by a kind of an insular look at Ireland, how the Irish players are doing, our own view of how Irish players are doing. But it is a World Cup year, Morris. This is a World Cup that we think we have at least a chance of winning, or, you know, getting past the quarterfinals for the first time <laughs> at least. So we want to know about the rest of the world. We want to know about the New Zealands, England, France, Australia, even maybe South Africa, you know, how these teams are doing, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, who's coming through, who's maybe living on a four-year-old reputation. Also, let's face it, we do want to talk about Ireland, but we want to know how the rest of the world sees us. You know, are we this team to beat that we think we are? Are we as good as we think we are? Or are we just the usual pushovers that come World Cup time, will Somehow lose to Argentina, even though we're not on the same side that the draws. Them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, we we will start that process today. We're going to talk to Gregor Paul of the New Zealand Herald, who's over here for the um, for the game next week after New Zealand's. Pretty tough win against uh, against England and Twickenham. We'll also talk to Sean Maloney of Fox Sports in Australia, who witnessed Australia's pretty poor continuation of their pretty poor form, not even scoring a try in a defeat in Cardiff at the weekend. But first proper weekend of the November internationals, Morris, what was
1: your standout? I, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say like there's... And a couple of series of narratives across the weekend, like a good result for New Zealand to consolidate that top world ranking spot. Uh, great result for Conor Shea's Italy. I think that really in these calls for relegation in Six Nations. So like, there's yeah. plenty to talk about.
0: Yeah, yeah, no relegation just just yet anyway. But um, we will get to the lads and we're going to get back to you in a while and talk about some of those games because we're going to get Morris's rolling team of the November International, something he did so successfully with the GEA <laughs> back in the summer. We're going to bring it to rugby this year. But I do want to get to the lads first and uh, Gregor Paul of the New Zealand Herald just mentioning there like an unbelievable game in Twickenham. Just like, you know, probably not like the most exciting running rugby of all time, but in the absolute pissings of rain, uh, New Zealand just eked out a win in the way they only know how to.
2: Well, you say the way that they only know how to, that that's maybe a wee bit of a surprise to us who follow that team, because they haven't actually had to dig out a victory of that nature for quite some time. I mean, they, they were very, they had two epic games with South Africa, but they were free-flowing, try-scoring games. This was very different, played in the pouring rain, played against a team that had, I don't mean that rudely, they didn't have a lot of ambition. They knew what they wanted to do. They wanted to kick the ball up in the air, and they wanted to run after it, and put a lot of pressure on the All Blacks and squeeze them, and not let them breathe. And the All Blacks haven't faced an opponent like that for for a while. Uh, they haven't had to kind of dig out and grind out a victory like that. I mean, they won with a drop goal, which mm. is unheard of for a New Zealand team to to, to win with a drop goal. Uh, and they haven't really been kicking penalties either this year. They tend to put everything into touch and drive the line out. Were so in the end, getting over the line and winning a contest of that nature.
0: Yeah, like absolutely, it is. It's one of those things. I think that was Bowden Barrett's first ever drop goal for the All Blacks. Um, although I have to say, watching that at the time, and this is a complete side point, but. I have to say, I watched it at the time. I was very surprised because it's like it was like an almost an old school mentality. It was it was a penalty in front of the post? It's a, a free three points, and the kind of the rule book there tells you you go for the seven. You take your free play, and the penalty's always there waiting. Was it just a sign of the kind of game it was that it was like I might need two chances at this? You know, I'm just going to take the three points.
2: I think take points at all costs. I think he knew he had the penalty. They knew they were going to kick the penalty. They were going to take those three points. Because the mindset was they needed to get in front of England. You know they didn't want to be playing two points behind. Take a risk. You know try and go for seven to get four ahead or whatever it would be. They just wanted to get in front and keep their nose in front. So it was a bit of a free shot on the drop goal. See, so first one. So he knew that if he didn't get it, he was going to at least have the penalty afterwards.
0: Mm. Sean, you watched uh, most of this game, I know, and you know you would have been very familiar with seeing a lot of New Zealand over the last at uh, the last few months in the Rugby Championship. What, is this something that we should be looking at a little bit in, you know, they obviously won that championship again as, the, as, as they always do. They still won in Twickenham despite everything in an unbelievable game that they eked out. Are New Zealanders omnipotent as we're, as we're used to seeing them in the last, you know, eight to ten years?
3: I'll, I'll tell you what, fellas. First off, I felt so sorry for the English guys because... We've been there so many times as Wallabies fans <laughs> over the last few years. They get a few in front, you think, my God, this is going to be the moment we break through. This is our night, and then they find a way to get you down at the death. So um, I've seen it all happen before. So part of me felt sorry for the English, um, but just the way they played in the wet, the way they strung some of those passes together was just ridiculous off some of those... Uh, Ritaliic turnovers late in the game when they were running for their own twenty-two down that right-hand side. I mean, in the wet, their skills were just insane.
0: Yeah, Ritaliic was absolutely incredible. But Morris, you were thinking about another another breakthrough um, star in the New Zealand team.
1: Yeah, like I think Gregor. A lot of Irish fans would be familiar with a lot of this New Zealand team, but kind of a face that they definitely wouldn't be uh familiar with is uh, especially this kind of this unusual moustache, mm-hmm. like Carl. To win Nakayafi? The, we're just, just going to pro- call him
0: Mustache Carl, I think,
1: from now on, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, Carl T, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like He's got an unbelievable backstory. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that.
2: Uh, well, like, I mean, we're all, we're all sort of catching up a wee bit with him ourselves. He, like, he, About three years ago, he, he was about 175 kilos. Uh, he wasn't playing rugby at all. He'd, he'd been quite a good uh, schoolboy player back in the day left school, got a job as a as a security guard, very sedentary, got out of the way of playing, stopped playing, had kids, piled the weight on, got to the point where he wasn't feeling very well, went to his doctor, and his doctor said, Champ, if you don't stop eating, uh, you're going to have a heart attack, you're going to be dead in six months. And that was a bit of a moment for him. So he got back into rugby, uh, that was the only way he was going to lose the weight was if he had someone next to him so he got back into playing shed about 40 kilos uh, and the old skills came back and he started to play a wee bit better got picked up by north harbour province to get to play at that level still was nowhere near super rugby though at the start of this year but the chiefs had uh, an incredible injury run where they lost six players six props so carl got called in and he was way 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 down the list for even for, for super rugby got called in because there was no one else. And uh, I, just amazingly, he, he played pretty well for the Chiefs. The All Blacks kept their eye on him. All Blacks then had a number of injuries. They called him up. Uh, they got even more injuries. They had to put him out on the field. And and there he is. He he You he, he can't even explain how this has happened. He would have been literally number 25. <laughs> on a list of players at the start of the year so how on earth he's ended up where he has and he has just been amazing since he got into the team
1: mm. and those kind of like you know those impressive performance we, like, we saw he, he gave Sinclair a real tough time in the scrum last week somebody like Cody Taylor who's arguably been the best hooker in the world and yet is going to fight it out with Dan Kose. like there's a real kind of strength and depth to this New Zealand side that I think would be a concern for a lot of teams building towards World Cup
2: Oh, yeah, I think they're covered mostly. Yeah, front row they've done really well, and Carl has helped. You know, he he's been a rough diamond that they've polished up, and, and he's given them real quality in the in their front five. Uh, beyond Scott Barrett, they're a bit short of locks, so they've only really got three. But they only went to the last World Cup with three. That doesn't seem to bother them too much, uh, and they're a wee bit vulnerable behind Liam Squire. They don't yet have another number six um, that that would be certain about where they would go if they got an injury there. But look, they've got three, probably with Johnny Sexton thrown in, they've got three of the best four fly halves in, in World Rugby at the moment, I would imagine, or potentially so. I mean, Owen Farrell would be in there too. they got midfielders falling everywhere. Sonny Bull might not get back in the team, we don't know. They've got Nehi Milner, Scudder, and Julian Savia that can't get anywhere near the back three. Mm. So, yeah, look, they're, they're not going to be too troubled if they have a few injuries.
0: Yeah. Issues at
3: lock and issues in the back row Have you seen what we've had to get through The last little bit Greg Oh my (laughs) gosh Problems to have for New Zealand rugby
2: Yeah, like,
0: first world problems, I guess. I know. I was going to get to some of those problems, though, Sean, because we will come back to New Zealand, Gregor, because we do want to talk about next weekend and about a a few of the issues and various people involved in in, in those games. But, Sean, no tries in Cardiff. Like, a continuation of a rugby championship in which Michael Check is under terrible form. And I you know, the Ireland Argentina game was on at the same time and, you know, I watched all the first half of that game and it was bloody awful. And then just kind of went in for the full time analysis on BBC and it was like it was a it was a BBC studio that had Paul O'Connell, Martin Johnson and two Welsh lads. And no australian thing but the first thing they wanted to talk about was what is wrong with australia how have they fallen this bad and i was just like for for what was a close game i was thinking god this must be this must be um really really uh noticeable for these guys if they want to talk about australia before they want to talk about wales on the bbc you know things are just in real real bad straits at the moment aren't they
3: yeah it's hard to know where to start with the guys to be honest uh I guess from a holistic point of view, without singling out guys or, or you know, any one thing, it, it's the game plan. I mean, for the casual observer uh, here in Australia to be asking the question, you know, what are they trying to achieve, and and no one seems to be able to answer the question. They just seem to be running around with their uh, with their heads chopped off and. It's never consistent. There's never real any real consistency across the performances in what they're trying to achieve. So that's the other thing that leaves us has left us all very confused with where they want to take this squad and um, and if they're going to fire a shot at the World Cup next year.
1: Sean, you know, like we. I remember when Ireland had this conundrum at back row, there was an idea that we could be okay to play two sevens because the template had been set by Australia with the Pooper, the Pocock-Cooper combination, and we did it with O'Brien and O'Mahony, and then Wales did it with Tupirk and Warburton. And yet now there seems to be kind of a, a train of coverage that it's actually a bad thing, that there's that kind of a lack of balance, and it's affecting you at the line-out.
3: Yeah, I don't even know that that's the, the main issue, guys. The 6-7 is the... or the six-seven-eight in terms of where uh, hoops and poy fall, I think that's the least of our issues at the moment. It's knowing what they want to achieve okay. through 80 minutes of footy and at the moment it, it appears that none of them know where they're going one phase to the next.
0: So why is this though? Because Michael Checker is, so if we're taking talent out of it and we're taking, and, and it's it's all about the game plan and the coaching, Michael Checker is a good coach. We know about that in this part of the world and I think the Aussies know it as well. I mean, the, the run in the last World Cup, everything, but, this is just, it, so do you just reach a stage where, you know, I'm talking to the same guys for too long and the message isn't getting true anymore? What's the thought, what's the thought there about what's gone wrong with Cheka?
3: Well, I guess the, the initial thought, and Gregor will um, speak to this as well, is that he's not going anywhere. He's had his job basically concreted in by Rugby Australia, head of the World Cup next year. So that's not going to change. I think what needs to happen is if that's going to be the way they go, there just needs to be another voice. Uh, someone either to come in under him or around him just to give him a, a sounding board, just to give us a point of difference because it hasn't changed. it hasn't improved in uh, quite some time. and Greg, I mean you've watched tons of the world as well. When would have been the last time where you went, wow, that's a really complete performance from the Australian side?
2: Uh, probably Dunedin last year when you mentioned earlier they were they were three minutes away from winning, but the fact that they didn't win, the fact that they left the door ajar and let the Oblex come in showed something about that team as well, that they don't have the ability to shut the gate with, with two minutes to go. look at the team here, it could be classic. We haven't really had many of those um for quite some time and, and to be honest, I think we've reached a stage where most Kiwis have probably come to assume that the Pledisau will be 3-0, 3-0, mm. 3-0. Uh, it's always a wee bit of a surprise if the wallabies get up and and make it even close because it it hasn't happened for for a long time.
0: Sean should we be looking at now this is again going back to the to with the Ireland hat on. We were if we were like you know looking at a world cup campaign and kind of using England 2003 as the model us going down and winning a series um in the southern hemisphere in the summer our summer was a really really big deal for us and you know like trying to maybe beat New Zealand next week would be the next step and so on and so forth should we be looking at what happened in June differently given what's happened with Australia since we're obviously we're very delighted with that and very proud of it but this isn't an Australia team a vintage Australia team
3: no I, I think that's the best play they have played this year to be honest Outside okay. of the 20 minutes uh in that second half in Argentina where they turned it on and came back out of nowhere to uh, jag a, a really memorable win. They played some beautiful rugby that night. Um, previous to that, probably going back to that first test uh, against the Irish in, uh, in June up in Brisbane, and then it sort of started to slide a little bit from them. But... Our guys were up there; they were fresh, and uh, as sort of as the championship and the years gone on, they've sort of started to tail off. So I reckon the Irish should take plenty out of that win down here. Like that was a huge series in Australia; mm. that was massive.
0: Yeah, no, it was ma- massive here as well. But um, yeah, I suppose, we're, I suppose we're, we're finding negatives where they don't exist at the moment, and, and I think some of the coverage after the Argentina game might have might might have showed that as well. Um, before we um, get on to kind of New Zealand, Ireland being the big game this weekend, guys, um, I just want to ask about November tours in general. Um, they're obviously you know a huge part of the calendar. Sometimes there are wins for the Northern Hemisphere teams when we're talking about may- maybe the Southern Hemisphere teams are at the end of their end of their season and they're not quite as up for it don't know if that's going to be the case this year when we're kind of a year out from a World Cup but do you guys see a um, benefit in them and would you be disappointed if it does change the way r- World Rugby are, are suggesting it might, Gregor?
2: Oh, hugely disappointed if they change it Look, that, that game at Twickenham last weekend uh, 40 years in the making uh, albeit England have maybe tailed off a wee bit since the height originally began with that but you know you didn't need that to be uh connected into kind of some pseudo world cup world league whatever the hell we're talking about a world rugby don't need any of that this idea that you you know they're talking about oh we don't want to have friendlies mm. uh, in, in too many friendlies and test rugby what a lot of nonsense you know i mean there's nothing friendly about that game that was eighty-two thousand people you couldn't buy a ticket for months on end uh, the atmosphere was electric the game was outstanding the, the drama was brilliant Everybody would have walked off, okay, England were a wee bit disappointed they didn't win, but the fans loved it. It was absolutely brilliant. And it will be the same this week in Ireland. You tell me that that game needs anything else riding on it. That is New Zealand v Ireland, uh, and you do not need any kind of contrived element around that for it to be absolutely brilliant on the weekend. So we love. I love coming up here. I love watching the All Blacks play against teams that, that challenge them in different ways. Love, yeah, the Bledisloe Cup is brilliant, but it's also time for a change, time for different rugby, bigger stadiums, bigger crowds, noisier crowds, love the Irish. Even the English are fantastic at supporting the team. Um, yeah, absolutely first class. So now do not change it, please. No.
0: That's how we feel up, up here, Sean, as well, and and I I think that you know part of this show is getting that other perspective, and 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 our worry, I think, and a lot of people's kind of worry would be that 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 isn't the same in the southern hemisphere. But Gregor would suggest otherwise.
3: Yeah, I, I tell you what, though, I do empathise with uh, a number of these guys. I know rugby's their job. I know all that, but man, oh man, they are up for a long, long time. So they'll come back off the back of this tour. They have four between four and six weeks off. They're straight back in a super rugby training. In the boiling heat down here in Sydney and Brisbane, they're getting fried early on in the year. And then to stay up the duration, I mean, there's no other code in Australia that goes out long outside of cricket that goes a year round. So um, I'm with in that I love these end-of-season tour tour, uh, matches, but there needs to be a way of either reducing the games or just making it a bit more accommodating for these guys because they are smashing themselves year in, year out.
0: Yeah yeah absolutely um let's talk about this weekend then it's come up a few times here there's no kind of getting away from it uh ireland new zealand i, I steve hansen even coming out and talking about it being the the a game for the best team in the world which surprised me i have to say i'm not used to kind of steve hansen giving anybody else any credit or uh, or even kind of like answering uh, answering questions in well truthfully or, or whatever way you might look at it but um uh greg i opened the irish times this morning uh to see how they were covering different things and interested to see an, uh, an article by you headlined backstabbers or boys done good how do the all blacks view celtic kiwis uh we're talking obviously about bundyaki in the main here james lowe perhaps to come um how do the uh, all blacks view celtic kiwis I,
2: the kiwis wash up everywhere and people kind of accept that's kind of what's going to happen it If they've got particularly close to being an all-black and then they turn that down, uh, that causes a wee bit of a problem. Uh, Secondly, if they're not actually qualified through heritage for the country that they're playing for, that causes a wee bit of a problem. And when we've got guys like Bundy, who uh, he's not really the problem, it's more, more the Irish Rugby Union who are the problem, because this idea that you go around the world recruiting your next midfielder three years out from New Zealand to play for Ireland, I don't think anyone likes that idea, and I don't think you know if it was happening in Australia, I don't think they would like it either if their
0: players
3: were being picked off like that. With um, any of the Fijians or anything like that. <laughs> no, that never happens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it does happen though, and I, I think that it, I think it's a fair point, and I think it's it's definitely a source of conversation over here a lot of the time, and it's it's not a very straightforward one. I think that there was despite the advantage that Ireland have got and, and, and to be honest, like to a much greater extent England and, and 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 other countries as well. You know, it isn't just Ireland. But there is a a, a wide welcoming of the, the change to five years. Um the the five year old but I am interested in the idea that like will the all blacks be targeting uh Bundyaki next week as a kind of a you know, this guy's a bit of a I don't know, traitor is too strong a word, but it's the word that comes to mind.
2: Nah. They, they they don't do that. They don't get into individual targeting. They won't he won't feature in their planning any more than any other midfielder would, you know, just normal game plan. What does this guy do? How do we shut him down type thing? I think it's probably an issue that the players don't worry about. It's more at our media level that we'll probably discuss it and debate it. I don't know how the Irish feel about, you know, having guys in your team who are not born here, mm. who don't grow up covering an Irish jersey. That's the big thing, you know. Bundy didn't grow up in uh, I'm not sure which part of New Zealand he grew up in, but he wasn't sitting there going, uh, "I can't wait to play for Ireland one day." Yeah, I mean, that clearly wasn't in his thought process. So it's it's probably more back on the countries that are doing it. How does it make how does it make you feel?
0: I suppose that's a very mixed. You know, I, th- I think you wouldn't have one set answer from anybody. But I think I think if, if you could find a consensus of which there isn't one I think we would say that you know it it is uncomfortable we'd rather it didn't happen but it doesn't mean once they're here playing for Connacht or Munster like Bundyaki or CJ Sander that we don't fall in love with them ourselves and Mm. then what you know so these guys over that three years become part of the rugby culture here and and we're delighted to see them in an Irish jersey when they are but it doesn't make us any more comfortable with the ruling ruling itself
1: Gregor, can I follow up on that just for a second? Because like th- th- that's a debate in terms of, like as an Irish rugby union, we've had a lot in this country. Like it, There's a, an internal debate about residency rules, and I think it, it kind of becomes a lot wider about that in terms of like integration and things like that. But I want to talk about the New Zealand rugby union for a second, because we spoke to Richie McCall last week, and he mentioned the fact that Ken Reid is going to step away, and that even like his... A supposed successor, Whitlock, there was kind of rumours about him. Like, is there a concern wider within the New Zealand Rugby Union about this supposed exodus to Europe or even to Japan?
2: Oh uh, yeah, but but that's been going on forever, you know, and it's never going to change either. That New Zealand's players are going to be in demand around the world, and they're going to get paid more money outside of New Zealand than they are in New Zealand. So that that equation has been there forever and ever. The the thing about Japan that's creeping up a wee bit is Japan used to be. Uh, a sort of Kiwis wouldn't actually gravitate to go and play in Japan. There's a language barrier, difficult to bring your wife and kids up there and settle. There's a fear about Japan, which has kind of, uh, for, for the New Zealand players, has kind of been reduced as a result of having a Japanese team in Super Rugby. So these guys have gone to Japan a wee bit more. They've actually got come to realize it's not as scary as they think it is. And then with that barrier down, the money over in Japan is huge. They can go play a year or maybe even two years. It's uh, it's not so physical. It's not like playing in Ireland or France where you're gonna get you know, you're gonna get seven colours bashed out of you. Uh so it's kind of less physical, less demanding, go up there, earn 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 a lot of money, and then potentially you come back to New Zealand two years down the track. They are getting a wee bit worried that guys like Barrett, uh Bowden Barrett that is, Brody Retallock and maybe Sam Whitelock are all gonna disappear for a year or two as mm. part of a longer term contract to stay in New Zealand and, and, and then uh, have a couple of years in Japan as part of that.
1: And how, like, how do you counter that? Like we, we, for example, in Ireland, we saw there was a real concern uh, around the time when Sexton left to France and there's an idea that maybe players are using foreign links to uh, help contract negotiations. Like how do you, as a rugby union, how do you counter that to try and keep your best players playing in, within your country?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, they can only sign off on a certain number. Like When we say here that they might go and play in Japan, it'll be as part of a New Zealand rugby contract. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Barrett will sign for four. He'll sign through to the next World Cup, but he'll be given licence to play in Japan for one year of that four-year contract. So that's a kind of compromise that they'll reach with those guys. They won't offer those sorts of contracts to anyone and everyone, only to the to the guys that they absolutely know they have to keep. And the second problem and the way that they'll manage it is they won't allow them all to go at the same time. So you can't have Ritalik and Whitelock both disappearing at the same time. You know, one, of them, one of them have to be in New Zealand to play for the All Blacks. So they get, they're going to just have to work it out. No one really knows at this stage because you know the be-all and end-all is that the All Blacks keep winning.
0: Yeah. And will they keep winning? Sean, you're in neutral. How much are you looking forward to Ireland and New Zealand next week?
3: I can't wait. I can't wait, and I've actually worn a green shirt tonight because I'm cheering. <laughs> up. But, um, I want to change. I, but I mean, I tell you what, I, I'm really, really excited about it. It's not often that um, you get pumped up to see. Uh, Two test nations go out that you don't have skin in the game in. But the last two, it's the last two times these guys have played, isn't it? So, uh, was it Chicago last year? Was that last year, Chicago? 2016,
0: yeah, yeah. 2016,
3: and the, and then, and the game before that when um, Ryan Crotty jagged the win at the back end after mm. 85 minutes of play as well. So, you know it's going to be an absolute uh, crackerjack game. And I reckon I reckon the Irish might, might just jag them.
0: Um, Gregor I saw you writing uh, last week about maybe Ireland New Zealand being genuinely probably the only two real contenders for the World Cup at least at, at least before November and we'll kind of see how the year goes in, into that and obviously England will probably come back into things as will South Africa and so on and so forth but this is and Hansen's comments I mentioned earlier this is truly being seen in New Zealand as their biggest game this year is it?
2: Uh, I think I think Hanson's happy for everyone to believe that's the case. Um,
0: <laughs> that's what I uh, thought. I had a... <laughs> it.
2: Like, like, with Steve, there's always an ulterior motive. Why? Why did he say that the other day? He never normally hypes up a game. That's you know, not his style at all. Normally plays it all down. Just another game. But here he is. He's talking about winner takes all. This will be. This is the best team in the world that wins this game. Yeah, for me, the only reason he's doing that is to put pressure back on Ireland mm. because. When you're in the All Blacks, every game you play is the same. You have to win it. It doesn't change. Yeah, you, know, you play Namibia, expectation you're going to beat them. You play England at Twickenham, expectation you're going to beat them. So you come to you come to Ireland, nothing really changes for the All Blacks. They live in that world of expectation and pressure. Maybe Ireland don't quite yet, or not. They haven't done so for as long as New Zealand have. So when they when the stakes get up a wee bit, the All Blacks always like to try and remind the other team that they're doing something they don't normally do, i.e. you're playing a massive game here where your country is actually expecting you to win this one. And that's kind of what Hanson was getting at there. He's trying to put it in Irish minds. You know, you've got a chance at knocking the king off his perch here. Are 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 you big enough and tough enough to come out and do it?
0: Yeah. And do you, like... I f- if New Zealand lose to Ireland the only thing I can see it doing is pushing them on towards next year but even from your perspective is this something is this a barrier that you feel Ireland need to get past in Dublin this weekend for the World well, Cup I mean
2: nah, no, not, not really not, not in a World Cup context because we go back to World Cup and I've covered enough now to know that nothing ever transfers you know you, you, you get over to World Cup everything's different so yeah. there's no kind of well we banked a win against the All Blacks Therefore, we can beat them at the quarterfinal or semi-final of the World Cup, and it never works like that. I think, from an Irish perspective, they would certainly feel that they've uh, categorically moved from being, um, you know, a very good team to an outstanding team because you, you've got to be outstanding to beat the All Blacks at the moment. right England found that out, you can take them on. Australia found that out. You can you, Ireland found that out the hard way. You can you can be ahead 79 minutes of the game, and these guys will hit you after after the bell i mean they never give up they never go away so if you're going to beat them and you do beat them then you can walk away thinking right we've actually got the ability now to believe that we're good enough to be anyone that we play
1: yeah sean it's interesting That's
3: what we thought after we sorry picked, uh, in the third letter zone. it doesn't <laughs> yeah it doesn't doesn't always translate
1: no right? <laughs> Sean, like, it's interesting, we, we, especially, I think, in this side of the world, kind of this obsession with, you know, like, four-year cycles and developing towards World Cups, and then you look at uh, a country like Australia, who pulled it out of the bag before 2015, like, is there any comfort in, no matter how bad it is now, that, like, as Cheka has demonstrated in the past, that a, a, good, like, a good run of six months and you could really hit a World Cup run in?
3: Yeah, what is it, six test matches that you got to win straight on the bounce to, uh, to clone the World Cup? I think that's about right, so, uh... <laughs> I mean, there's there's hope, but um, I, I, we just need to start seeing some more out of our guys. I think uh, it's been it's been a tough run, so that's three uh, three wins from the last 13 outings for the Wallabies, and and the press here is wow. starting to really um, get their back up around it. Our fans are, fans are really disgruntled, like people who were who are hardcore Wallaby supporters are starting to really uh, not question their allegiance to them, but just I guess. Worse than that is they're apathetic about their plight so um, they need to start showing something and hopefully it begins this weekend against Italy and then somehow they can uh, maybe land the win against England next week
0: yeah absolutely well it's a lot a lot a lot of uh, rugby still to be played i suppose in november and, and obviously between now and the world cup but um sean i think it's something that we could talk about in the future but I, i'd definitely be interested in talking about like the, the future of union in general in, in australia um and especially as you said if, if if the wallabies aren't performing where that support comes from. but i think that that's a conversation we can get into another time uh in the meantime best of luck against uh, italy and england and maybe maybe check can turn things around there and gregor I won't wish New Zealand the best of luck um, <laughs> for next week, but uh, <laughs> I, I just think this is this is a game we can't wait for. The whole country's going to be counting this down now for the next uh, for the next few days.
3: Yeah, no, it will be. Be good.
0: Well, thanks so much. Wish-
3: just a quick one. Just a quick one before you go. Uh, a guy to watch out for. Hopefully, he gets run this weekend. There's an 18 year old kid. Uh, that's come up through NRC here and through Super Rugby, on on Named Geordie Patea, 18 years of age and he's a freak. So hopefully he gets on at either 13 or on the wing on the weekend. He's an absolute gun.
0: Right, thanks for that, lads. Absolutely great stuff. Uh, Morris, you were at the Aviva on Saturday night. We haven't talked about Ireland-Argentina much, um, but given the way Gregor and, and Sean have been talking about Ireland, I, you know, <laughs> that that team that they're talking about weren't at the Viva on Saturday.
1: No, like I think there's uh there was like a lingering sense of anticipation for this week that kind of hung over the whole game, to be honest. Like there was a there was a weird atmosphere, like a baseball atmosphere where the cloud are yeah. like kind of discussing together and that the game was kind of happening secondary. I don't think there's anything that happened on the field that should be, you know, cause for major concern. Like there was no like in terms of like if if you saw people running wrong lines or not knowing their calls or a, like a massive underperformance. That's stuff that would concern you. Like small little inaccuracies at a line out or just silly penalties. Like you yeah. s- you see successive penalties for players, tackling players without the ball. Like that's just, that's, that can be corrected in a day. That's not something that needs to be... Yeah, concerned. I don't know about
0: the line-out, though. I think when you're beaten in the line-out, you're going to worry about it, and that's what it was. We lost a contest there, and you wouldn't expect Ireland to be losing that kind of contest. I think what you're saying about the the tackles is fine. I'd wonder just about like little things like... Johnny Sexton having an off game where his crossfield kicks were 10, 15 meters ahead of the the person he was kicking it to. So I would not worry about it. that's yeah, going to change. Yeah. That's not going to happen next week. But just they just looked a little bit sloppy and maybe it was that their mind was and, on and losing one of your star players twenty minutes before the game idea, doesn't help. Yeah. Even though like Addison had a pretty good game, I was yeah. quite impressed with him. I have to say and playing in the center as well.
1: And it, it went, you bring Toner back into that lineup, like I think is it all of a sudden there's different. Yeah, I think aspect. it has it, to happen, it's, doesn't it? It's something it? that's like the. Like I think England were at sixty six percent with line success against New Zealand at the week. They were already at a back foot against that. We've seen its cost teams. It cost South Africa against England the week before. Um I think like dude, I think in New Zealand's for like ninety two, we were a lot lower, like seventy six. But I do like I think in, in general, you're not talking like people weren't missing, you know, their lifts. Like lifts were out like you're getting full extensions, lifts were solid, cause looked good. It was mm-hmm. you know, it was overthrows, it was twice Henderson's handling errors kinda of let him down within that lineup. The conditions weren't like ideal. But I, again I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't have that for cause for a major say.
0: yeah I suppose we're looking at um, as well like a much improved second half and especially the second half of the second half and you had Devin Toner on the field I feel that I still think we're in a position where he has to start I think we need him in, in the line out and to be honest it was so heartbreaking to see Sean O'Brien walk off with a broken arm again but I don't understand how an Ireland team doesn't have Dan Levy starting at the moment I think he adds so so much to that back row causes absolute chaos you know and I don't think Argentina had comfortable ball at all after Levy came on, and it completely changed the whole game. And
1: I think that's something like you really would value about a player like Dan Levy. Like Dan Levy, we we're persistently hit with you know his tackle stats like how impressive his tackle stats is like Dan Heavey doesn't just make tackles Dan Levy makes hits like Dan yeah. Levy is making contact he's getting a really good leg drive he's doing phenomenal work on the ground like he's an absolute, yeah. as and a, he's
0: off the stat sheet a lot of the time because it's not as if he's getting he got I think two turnovers but it's not even the turnovers he's getting it's the slow it's the delay it's the Ireland defense is setting everything just by just him being there and causing an absolute nuisance which is like you know the the best thing you could describe a number seven (laughs) as. you know it's like it's like the ultimate compliment to a number seven you sir are a nuisance and i think that's
1: when you're especially in the stadium as you're watching him like go to work that was your your biggest takeaway is i would hate if he was playing against us like i would hate if he was an opponent against any team that i was a part of it would be an absolute nightmare because it just makes things so difficult he's like a constant menace that um, Lineouts, the, the, his counter modelling is really strong himself, and James Ryan have really got that down. Like he, he's just an absolute menace to play against, and that's a real arsenal for Joe Schmidt's team.
0: Yeah, right. So something we did during the summer in our GA show was that or in our on-site actually was that you were picking a rolling all-stars in, yeah. f- in football and hurling, and. This is a this is a show where we want to have a holistic view of the November internationals and rugby in general. We don't just want to be concentrating on Ireland or even just our opponents. We want to look at all the games, get to know all the countries, get to know all the good players ahead of the World Cup next year. So we're educated when October comes around, right? So you're going to do a rolling team of the November internationals. Yeah. So you can see it there.
1: Go through it for us. I mean, like the... It's been two weeks now, so we've had a we've had a bit of rugby yeah, to, like to work with. To clarify the idea, uh firstly, yeah. like the um, it's slightly not as applicable from gay football because a lot of teams do a lot of experimentation this time of the year so you get mass turnover so like, what I'm saying is if you don't agree with a section don't blame me it's the system um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah don't blame the person <laughs> picking it uh, but anyway this could change because it is it's going on uh, we're going uh, over yeah, but by the end it'll be over a four week period right now it's over a two there'll be lots of changes next week we'll have players in and out but this is the first one anyway so
1: so quickly we'll just uh, I guess run through the full team uh, Carl Tuanaki who just about actually yeah. like, again like a flama story well you did a better job pronouncing his name that time actually to it yeah now don't think about it so I think we'll go with that um like made an absolute mince of Sinclair I think Sinclair played well but like I think he was six out of six in his scrum he they won one against the heads um Cody Taylor went with a two. I mean like it's kind of weird to look at these two guys who are both second choice effectively or yeah. as Gregor said 25th choice when it comes to <laughs> Uh But I think it, it goes to show that, you know, in New Zealand have a, like a scrum guru in Mike Rohn, like a, a if anybody watched the All or Nothing, the New Zealand's Amazon documentary, they would see he was kind of the, the like the hidden star of that show. He also does a lot of instrumental videos on scrummaging and things on, on YouTube and the likes. So he's just he's an absolute guru. Yeah. He's interestingly the Roly
0: Meats of New Zealand.
1: Exactly, yeah. He's actually spoken in the past about how proud he is to see former players of his or students become coaches. One of whom is Greg Feek, who is going to come up against this weekend. So that's kind of student versus master there, like a nice narrative come along. Uh, at three, I, we picked Ty Furlong. I think Kyle Sinclair played well, but I don't think he coming as well. And I think Furlong is just an absolute rejoice at the minute. Second row is kind of picks itself. I don't think anybody agrees with it. but your was incredible. You know, oh,
0: like sorry, I just like in the second half of that game. It was, you know, it was such a close game and it was such a good game, and England were probably marginally on top. But the amount of things that he did in that game, for, and and as well, when you're kind of watching on TV and it's pissing rain, you're not at the game and you're not analysing the game. For you to notice a second row as much as yeah. as we all noticed him, he was just absolutely unbelievable.
1: And he does that and more. I mean, he's like all the really kind he's of heavy duty team, the lock <laughs> stuff, like the like his lineup worker, his working mods, but even like really kind of hidden slightly sneaky, slightly illegal things like if you look at the very first penalty that they end up scoring off. Slightly illegal, what a, uh, what a New Zealand thing to <laughs> be, yeah. Uh, Franks and uh, Rataliak, they pin Wilson, Wilson makes a tackle and they pin him down, he can't roll away and suddenly it's the penalty. Yeah. Uh, when he got isolated as a runner, he released the ball picked it up again and kept going and turned it over and that was for their third try in the second half or the second try, sorry. Like this this is a guy who just he wins that, that really down. Uh, James Ryan I think that's pretty obvious. Justin Turpic I know he's playing at seven but He's in at six because two man-of-matches in a row, I don't think you can pick him. He was incredible against Australia. And that's mm. a back row. We just spoke about it. Like, I know Sean didn't really want to get into individuals, but there is a... There seems to be, like, a bit of an imbalance in the back row for Australia. And Tipperick to t- 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 up against Hooper, Dempsey and Pocock yeah. and come out with man-of-match the match, was, yeah. was incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah. For, for the Wales seven to be kind of coming out of, uh, of that tree is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah.
1: exactly. Uh, seven, Sam Underhill, who... Uh, we were just speaking about him off air actually before yeah. the game, but like I think like when, he's in the same mold as Levy in that like he he absolutely refuses to just like it's not just I will accept this tackle, it's I like he's Almost will like willing you back into your game, and he's constantly making is like that kind of leg drive when he makes hits is absolutely mm-hmm. incredible. But then after doing all that for seventy minutes to turn up Trumps as he did for his uh, contentious try, yeah, like the his footwork there was incredible.
0: We should talk about that offside decision because we haven't yet, right? Yeah. And and it, it just never come We never got around to it with the guys. But before that, like what you're saying about Underhill is like watching that game and Mackenzie kind of run inside out and he changed direction three times <laughs> all of while underhill never moved at all it was the smartest straight run i've ever seen in my life because he just never committed to what way he was going yeah. it was just just really really intelligent running and just like made Mackenzie look like an idiot without mckenzie having really done anything wrong and like great Ur- try like and amazing, it wasn't a yeah. try because it was offside and <laughs> we'll go
1: into it but and underhill's that kind of support running like he did that throughout it just it never really paid off but like if you watch. As Laws makes the break, he's the he's primed to go. Like it's a seventy minute dash, he just go and the really nice turn of foot as well. Like I know I'm sure Welsh fans won't like to see that, but I mean it's a guy who just like absolutely tore it away. I think he was immense. Yeah.
0: Um so people will have seen this if if they didn't, what happened was uh but five minutes to go in the game, England are losing by a point. Uh Courtney Laws blocks down scrum half box kick and Underwood runs in, um a brilliant finish into the corner on a T gar says words to try but has a look the tmo says let's have a look at this to see was laws offside laws was on the back foot of the rook slightly ahead of the rest of the defensive line what clearly happened and what Stuart Barnes refused to see on television and what many English journalists seem to have refused to see since was that the prop, I think, I'm not sure who it was, who was at the front of the ruck, moved the off line forward before the scrum half picked up the ball. It was a planned thing to do. You're making the ruck bigger to extend the like, off line so that you have wrong, the yeah. box kick. It's a very normal thing to do. Laws didn't retreat and block down the ball. This all happened, and I've never seen a, a move... Wo- uh, analyzed so poorly it's like people don't want to see the fact that it was offside and then the people who say oh maybe it was offside but that's not normally something we call how can you say let's go to a TMO decide that something was illegal and then say oh well it's not really a call we normally make try yeah like absolutely bananas and I felt so sorry for England I thought they should have won that game and they were very very good it was actually like you know not a fan of England but that was as good as they've played in a long time and they should have beaten New Zealand I understand you feeling bad about that but that was a that was a fair call.
1: I guess like the concern is that in the same week that uh, where Rugby sent out a directive about it being clear and obvious. Like how and I I mean it's the irony is that if Underhill had actually been tackled it was definitely a try you know like I think the if, if he fu- scored at the rebound if, or, I mean if, if McKenzie had, had make, made the tackle if Underhill had been if he'd taken him down there and they'd scored off the next play or yeah, play yeah after, that's what I mean yeah next yeah, phase, yeah. yeah they would have that would have been like totally fine I think it wouldn't have been pulled back for that one instant like I, I also like I think it's funny I watched the highlights well, back that's fine
0: but that doesn't make it right or wrong oh, you know? I mean, it was yeah. like, offside it was offside <laughs> and just because it's not often called an open play it doesn't mean it's not it, wrong it's it's just sure. the other way. It yeah. should be called and, more
1: often. Like, and like yeah. on that, like I
0: th- I do think like I know, the. I felt sorry for Lars. I don't think he even knew he was kind of retreating. I yeah, mean, and yeah. he saw the opportunity and went for it. But it's a penalty.
1: Yeah, like there were, like there were, you get there was a I know um, Brian Moore was on commentary on BBC and he said it was. He immediately said he's going to pull it back for that. Like he, he, yeah. he called it straight outright. Um, I know Charlie Morgan from the Telegraph also was pretty adamant that he was offside. Okay, that so it wasn't all English yeah. people. Okay, like, I, I apologize. I, I, I think the 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 basic train of that is that the like the what you're talking about here is the premise of high most foot essentially like they, when, yeah. when that scrum is lengthened the defensive line and the defensive line itself is set. So and because he's ahead of it, it's only after like it, it was just a kind of a counter movement to lengthen. It's like it's you you call in a prop to give you uh, you know that additional coverage for a box that like you lengthen your ruck. These are just kind of really simple so things. Simple do, things,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the same way as people will recognise more that they kind of build the bridge at the back of the ruck to give the scrum half more yeah, room. Exactly. Um, it's a similar thing. You just extend the offside
1: line by just moving it forward a little bit. But anyway, back to your team. Who's number eight? Uh, number eight is David Pocock, who I think was Australia's best player. He was actually okay. incredible. Uh, an unbelievable penalty that he. One when I was looking to attack, I think pretty good player is Pocock. Yeah, I actually think he, uh, the if he had been captain, there was a moment in the in the fiftieth minute where um, where they had a chance to kick a goal, they didn't take it. Hooper decided to go for the corner. I know afterwards he said he wouldn't have done it. I think. Like Pocock in those kind of situations is a really good decision maker, just in terms of in game those kind of things. Like they're like phenomenally. And it's really. De- I'm not like. It's not even thing that you could criticize Hooper for really because it's in the moment. It's fifty. There's 20 minutes left in the game, but ultimately it would have proved uh, really important. Nine Ben Youngs. I thought there was a lot of calls after the South African game for him to be dropped because of his box kicking. I actually think his box kicking is deliberately long sometimes because England don't really want to play. Rugby inside their own town, effectively, like they're they're going to trust in their defence enough. Yeah, to it's like
0: an old-fashioned out half kick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I thought um, Youngs was very good on Saturday. I, didn't I think thought so too. Africa. I thought
1: the only other player who could have come into that was Baptiste Saran from France, uh, who was amazing against South Africa. Like he, I think he kicked he kicked everything, um, like fifteen points. He's a really kind of mercurial player. Like he kicks with his near foot. He throws these really long, elegant passes. If you look at his for uh, Bastos' try, he throws a really long pass back to Lopez, and it's like. Uh, the hang time on the up and under is incredible from Lopez and Bastra gets down and mm. over. 10, uh, 10 is a really hard one to pick because nobody has really stood out. Um, I went for Pollard because he kicked everything against France and was pretty good against England as well. Like his handling skills weren't great against mm. France. That's up for grabs basically yeah, next week, that position exactly. then, yeah. Like Anscombe was playing for Wales, he did okay, but I think Sexton and Farrell both kind of off yeah. days, even Barrett. I
0: mean, like, you know, Bigger was on at the end to kick the yeah, winning exactly. goal. Like,
1: yeah, Uh Johnny May was on one wing in the sense centre I'd agree with Johnny May yeah. uh, Bondiaki, who I think was credible at 12 13 yeah. Jonathan Davies the only other player who might come into is Dunbar but like Davies he was amazing against Australia but the week in the before against Scotland the line he took for a try he's only back playing rugby he took an amazing line he doesn't seem to be this uh, like crash bang merchant that maybe he would have been prior to that Like he really seems to be trying to take lines and take a lot of space um, Tommy Seymour I think it's probably impossible not to pick him he scored three tries this weekend and, and it's, uh, fullback is another one up from the air I went for Damian McKenzie I know defensively maybe he's Ooh, not yeah, fully okay. sound but uh, his footwork is phenomenal like when he steps into the line I think that's where uh, it's. this is an unfair comparison before I even say it Christian Cullen but that's where you want uh, <laughs> no <laughs> That's what he wants, Jordan Armour to get oh, okay. there, like Sorry. the, like I thought, the yeah. this ability to step into the line and just do sheer, sheer footwork. It's not like they're not running a play; like it's not a set move. It's just him. Yeah, it's like a small bit of magic that. And,
0: and well, I said Colin because it just reminded me of that 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 New Zealand fullback who just bursts in when you're not expecting him to be in the and line and like bursts exactly. through and like then his then line, it's line for his drive was incredible. Sound, yeah. like
1: he, he, he he has that kind of stuff. I know, like there's other kind of areas in the game where he's maybe not sound. Like I wonder, will. If if he is playing fullback, I think that might be an area that Ireland could target in especially in terms of high ball again, kick chase underneath that. But uh, yeah, I, I thought think England did target
0: him. I have to say, so I think that I think ten and fifteen are very open there. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of positions that are, and we'll get to it over the course of the of the weeks. But um, that's it for now. If you disagree with any of like my waffling about England's offside line <laughs> or Morris's rolling team in the November internationals, or if you have anything to say at all, just please get in touch in the comments and i hope you enjoyed the show we'll be back here every monday every monday morning um from from now on really uh, for, for and hopefully next week when we join you we'll be celebrating ireland's second ever win and our first ever win in dublin over the mighty all blacks take it easy thanks lad.